the book of Daniel, chapter 9, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, please turn over that way. It's been a joy to be able to teach out of the book of Daniel. Uh, it's raised a lot of questions. We're grateful for the questions. I've titled this the 70 Weeks Prophecy because that's what it is. It's part two. We had begun that um, last week. And so we'll return to it this morning. One of the reasons we're returning to this and expositing out of the Old Testament is that Bible that either is turned on or you're holding in your lap, the Old Testament contains what percent of the Bible? The truth is it's 77% of our Bible. So far from only looking into the New Testament, which is wonderful because we see the full plan revealed in the person of Christ, 77% of the Old Testament written for our instruction leading us to the Savior. So in one sense, I can't think of anything more practical. Let me read the text for you. You follow along and I'll pick it up in Daniel chapter 9 and we'll begin at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end um, to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let me bow us in a word of prayer. Father, what a privilege it is, an unspeakable privilege to open this book to worship you already this morning, to give glory to you. Father, I'm so glad that we've gathered, so glad that we can be together. Thank you, Father, and we are in need of this for today, for families in need of this today, for us to moor our attention to the kingdom of God bound up in Christ, who is to come and who is to be cut off and then who is to appear a second time to establish everlasting righteousness. Father, so would you give us eyes to see 
ears to hear. And for those here who may not be in a saving knowledge of you, would you use this today to bring them to the foot of Christ? Thank you for the privilege that we have to partake of communion today. And we'd ask that it would be a blessing that we remember Christ in your name. Amen. Well, we are studying a very intricate, a very detailed prophecy known, we'll just call it this, the 70th week prophecy. Uh, Some of the Bible commentators over the years, Ironside, who was a Bible expositor, said it is the greatest of all time prophecies. Leopold, Another commentator said of chapter 9, quote, that it unrolls a panorama of history that is without parallel even in the sacred scripture. It's without parallel, he said. McLean wrote a book on the 70 weeks and he said, quote, we have an indispensable chronological key to all of New Testament prophecy. So beloved, this is critical. This is important for our understanding. Now just for a moment, let me bring you back to the context. You remember that the Northern Kingdom went into captivity and exile, we would say in 722 BC because they were disobedient. Years later, then, the southern kingdom went into captivity. They became enslaved, if you will. They went into exile, and that happened in three periods of time. In 605, 597, and in 586 BC, when Babylon came in, they destroyed basically the city, certainly destroyed the temple. Daniel was taken away at that first deportation or captivity in 605 BC. And we've been saying all along, he went as a teenager. But if you look back at chapter nine and verse one, it says in the first year of Darius or Darius, the son of Ahasuerus by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. We know from that date that it is 67 years later from when he arrived in captivity. So that teenager has now turned into an 82-year-old man of God. And what Daniel does is we look into chapter 9. It was in the first year of that reign. Look at verse 2. That I, Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord and to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely, and he states it there, 70 years. And he just begins to pray. Look at verse four. I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's praying. And you say, well, what is he praying for? Well, we understand he's reading from the prophet Jeremiah. And he's probably reading statements like this in 2511 up on the screen. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. He's reading that and he's thinking through as a young teenager when he was taken away and thinking I'm 82 now and 
This is close. And maybe he's reading, I would think, specifically, Jeremiah 29, where even after the 70 years, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And God says, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And then that promise, I will be found by you. So you might be here even this morning thinking, I hear these people singing, I hear them worshiping, but I don't know the God to whom they worship. Listen, here's a promise. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And the promise is, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And here's the phrase, I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. I'm gonna bring you back. Okay, Daniel's thinking and he's praying and he's on his face and it's 70 years and we believe he's in the 67th year. And so the time is almost up and look at verse 19. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not and I I think just in the context, act and delay not, bring us back. I've been a, in captivity, in exile for almost his whole life. And by the way, we don't ever have anything. They will return back to the place of Jerusalem. We don't think that maybe Daniel ever made it back. It just doesn't say, but he's praying, act Delay not for your, here's his prayer, your own sake, oh my God, because of your city and your people who are called by your name. And the question that would be posed then, that would be posed today, has God forgotten his people? Has God forgotten his city? Has God forgotten the Jewish people? I mean, that's a big question in the mind of many believers today. And I'm going to go on to say categorically, no. And I'll show you why. It's not me. It's the scripture. And, and has, God has not forgotten. And Daniel's prayer, here's what you want to lock in, was answered. And he gets the absolute I think, surprise of his life. And instead of dealing with 490 years that were behind him, God gave him clarity through the prophet that the 490 years looked ahead to the covenant of God and the covenant promises of God and the covenant that God promised to Israel and to the nation. Now, let me see as we begin it last week to frame it for you, that in this 70-week prophecy, I would just submit to you three insights that reveal, and here's why you should listen, the end of the world as we know it, the future of Israel and maybe most importantly, the coming kingdom of God. And I would just say, beloved, this demands our attention. It demands our focus. You're here, and if you're new today, we just exposit from the scripture. 
Those three insights are the person sent by God. We know that to be Gabriel. Then the prophecy set forth by God. Gabriel revealed that to Daniel. And then thirdly, in the few weeks to come, the period of time that is secured by God. Okay? That's the big picture. That's where we're going. Look again, and we'll just touch on this briefly. The person sent by our God. The person sent by our God. Look at verse 20. I'm speaking. Uh, Daniel says, I'm praying. Second verb. I'm confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And I'm presenting my plea before the Lord my God uh, for the holy hill of my God. And while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening offering. And watch this. He made me, what? Understand. And I, just for a second, you are not to be confused by this. I don't mean to say this is easy, but I'm just reading the text to you Gabriel was dispatched by God to help Daniel, there you see it, understand, okay? Where did I leave off? It says in verse 22, he's speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you, he says here, insight, the ideal of skill and understanding. I've come out to communicate this vision to you. And then at the beginning, look at verse 23 of your plea for mercy, please. A word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. I love this little phrase, you're greatly loved. You're greatly esteemed. Daniel, you're precious, and I take that to be a promise to us that in love he predestined us. You are loved So he says, you're greatly loved. Therefore, into 23, consider the word and understand, he says, the vision. Now, I I touched on that. You say, well, what vision? Well, there's not a vision in chapter 9. There's been visions throughout the book. But I think specifically, look back in chapter 8. He's talking about the vision of the ram and the goat in chapter eight. That's what he's referring to. Look at verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, 8.15, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. Who is it? It's Gabriel. How do you know that? Because verse 16 says, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli and it called Gabriel. (laughs) Make this man, what? Understand the vision. So listen, as I bring you to this passage, he, he wanted Gabriel to make him understand the vision. You say, well, did it happen? Well, Not exactly. Look at 8.26. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, Gabriel says. But 
Seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for days. Verse 27, chapter 8. Then I arose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. But now, as he's praying and pleading and on his face before God, it was kind of like, he dispatches Gabriel to tell him what the vision is all about. So I take you to the person sent by God. It's Gabriel, okay? And you say, well, what does Gabriel say? Well, secondly now, the insight is the prophecy is set forth by God. So the person comes and now the prophecy is given. This is significant. You say, well, what's the prophecy? Well, it's in verse 24, and this is the big picture. 70 weeks, Gabriel speaking, right, are decreed about your people and your holy city, and then it's to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. But he says here in 24, 70 weeks are decreed, okay? And we're talking about 70 weeks. Now, just in terms of a big picture, trying to say, how how do I best serve you here? There's three main views, generally, on on the 70 weeks. Some would say that it was fulfilled in the person of Antiochus, Epiphanies, and I mentioned that last week. They would find fulfillment in all six of those statements in verse 24 that Antiochus brought that, but we don't need to spend any time there. To finish the transgression, Antiochus, to put an end to sin, that didn't happen. To atone for iniquity, no. To bring in everlasting righteousness, no. We'll just pass on that one. The second view is this, that some understand this 70 weeks as figuratively, that it was fulfilled, some would say, in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And when I say that it's figuratively, if you will, it's they say that these 77s, it says seven weeks, are not really specific. They say they aren't really describing a definite period of time. The time frames are indefinite, they would say. In fact, some would even say, and these are Bible teachers, that the 77s of prophecy are fulfilled I'm quoting them, in church history. So it's not really about 70 times 7, 490 years. It's just a general statement about language that really is not definite. So you can understand it through Antiochus. Some understand it figuratively. Thirdly, the passage refers, and this is what I believe the scripture teaches 490 years 
leading up to the person of Christ all the way to the end of the world and to the setting up of his kingdom. My path with you, just out front, is literal, historical, grammatical interpretation. And so I'm grasping this, looking at the literal words, literal time frame, a historical context that I set briefly for you, a grammatical interpretation of the words, okay? Let's dive into it. Look in verse 24. It said 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Now remember, we said that that's 70, literally in the Hebrew, 70 sevens. In Hebrew, sometimes that word there, sevens or weeks, can refer to a day or days. It can sometimes refer to weeks, and it can sometimes refer to years, depending on the context. context. But here, certainly in Daniel 9 and in Daniel 12, in verse 7, verse 11, verse 12, Certainly in Revelation 11, 2, 11.3, 12.6, 12.14, it refers to years. And I think here from the context, it's kind of obvious. When Daniel looks back, look at 9.2, when he talks there at the end of 9.2, namely 70 years... He's talking about years, literally. So here, 70 sevens, they described it as 70 weeks, is 70 groups of seven years. I don't think it's too difficult, and I don't want you to get confused. 70 times seven is 490 years. In fact, beloved, there's, Some translations, you can see that they kind of put it in modern language, if you will. The RSV, Revised Standard Version, says right here, 70 weeks of years. They just define it for you. Now, ultimately, it says 70, we have weeks, at least in the ESV, which means 77s, but the RSV said 70 weeks of years, and Let me just say, you say, who supports this? Almost everyone. Almost everyone supports here 70 weeks is 70 years. In fact, the New Century version says, quote, God has 490 years for your people. So you just take 70 times 7, 490 years. So beloved... Understand this, a prophetic week corresponds to seven years. Nothing else seems to fit the context. Uh, 490 days, like a year and a half to all those things being fulfilled. Uh, not even weeks here is, is, seems clear. So I think there's a real agreement here that 70 re- weeks refers to 70 time periods of seven years. Now, this 70 weeks, just an overview here, is divided into three periods. You say, well, okay, 
that's getting a little hard. And I would be like, no, that's not getting hard to encourage you because it's right there in the Bible. Look at verse 25. Does it not say it there? There, Know therefore and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, you can underline this, here's the first time sequence, there shall be seven weeks. There it is. You can see that, I can see that. Seven weeks is 49 years, it's a seven year period. Uh, Secondly, look at verse 25, there shall be seven weeks, then for, here's the second time period, 62 weeks, it shall be built again with square and moat, but in a troubled time. 62 weeks is 434 years. When you combine those two together, it is um, 483 years years. Most Bible teachers, I'm not exaggerating, are, and most commentators agree with this. There's seven, there's 62, and in that combined 69, the Messiah is going to be cut off. I will need uh, two weeks to show you that, that when he's cut off, uh, one man has gone to particular attention to say that he was cut off on the exact day that was prophesied in scripture. 69 years later, 483 years. There's one week left. What week is that? Put your nose back in 27. He, and I believe speaking of the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with the many, here it is, for what? one week. So to me, it's there, it's laid out. There's a one week at the beginning, seven, uh, it says it's, you know, it's one week in total. Then there's 62 weeks and then there's a final one at the 70th year, which we believe is the tribulation period. In fact, I'm not like this usually, but can I give you a chart? (laughs) You can take a picture if you want. I'm not going to belabor here, but seven times seven, far left, my left uh, uh, is 49. 62 times seven is, there it is. And then the Messiah comes and he's cut off after 69 weeks. And then there's a church age. And we teach that there's a gap there between the 69th week and the 70th week. You say, well, pastor, if the first seven and the next 62 were consecutive, why is there a gap there? You gotta come back in two weeks. I'll show it all to you. And then there is that last week which is the tribulation period that lasts for seven years, one week, seven years, leading to the kingdom of God and the new heaven and the new earth. You say, ah, this is a lot. No, it's not a lot. I I actually think we ought to pay particular attention to this. And, And I think you families and husbands and fathers and wives, we need to pay particular attention attention to this. And partly we need to pay particular attention because God dispatched Gabriel and I'm reading the words of Gabriel to you, to Daniel. 
And we know that God can't lie. Certainly his holy angel can't lie. And it's written down here. And he was sent to give Daniel understanding and vision. But you can take that chart off if you want. I don't usually do that. That was from Skip Heitzig. But I think 7 plus 62 plus 1 equals 70 years. Now, let me, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't want to discombobulate you. The first 69 weeks have already taken place. He's prophesying this. They didn't, he didn't know any of this. Gabriel's giving it to Daniel about 7, 49 years. Then another 62, the person of Christ. Then the prince comes and he's cut off. And really all that's left is the 70th week, and I will take my time with you in 927 on that. Seven years is waiting to be fulfilled. You say, why is seven years waiting to be filled? fulfilled? Because it hasn't been fulfilled yet. You say, well, why not? Because it's describing who was described in chapter 8, not just Antiochus, but the coming Antichrist. And at the final week of 77, the 70th week, it will lead to the second of coming of Christ and the establishment of everlasting righteousness. Now, just before we turn the corner, we're, we asked the question, and I left off there. Who is, who is Gabriel addressing? Well, look at the text. It's clear. It couldn't be clearer. Seventy weeks are decreed. Remember this? This is He's explaining to him. Are decreed about your people and your holy city. It's decreed, Daniel, about your people. Who are Daniel's people? Obviously, he's Jewish. It's the Jewish people. And your city. What city is that? That is the city of Jerusalem. What, what some do here is they spiritualize and refer to the people, they use this phrase, as spiritual Israel. And spiritual Israel is the church and they refer to the holy city as heavenly Jerusalem. But if you look down, I'm just reading the Bible. It's decreed about your people and your holy city. It's to the Jews. It's to the city of Jerusalem. He is not, I mentioned last week, addressing the church. I, well, I'm just pausing. Why would we spiritualize that? Jerusalem is mentioned six times by itself in chapter 9. Let me show you. He said in 9-2, I perceived in the books the number of days uh, and years according to the word of the Lord by, uh, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. He's talking about Jerusalem. Look at verse 7. To you, O Lord, righteousness belongs, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. And as to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of who? Jerusalem. 
down in verse 12. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our own rulers who ruled us by bringing about a great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. And it goes on to say the same thing twice in verse 16 and in verse 25. Six times Jerusalem is mentioned. Three times in chapter 9, he's linking that city to the city of God. Look at verse 16. Oh Lord, he says, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath be turned, or wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Look at verse 18. Uh, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. So the audience here, we would say in the 70th week is your city and your people, Jerusalem. He's not talking to the church. And I don't believe this has been fulfilled. Let me say it another way. How many people live in our world? I think I just checked. I I ballparked it. There's over 8 billion people in our world. 8 billion with a B. Of the 8 billion people, how many are Jews? Kind of surprising. They loom large. They're in the paper and on the web. Every single day, the Jewish population in the globe is 15 million. 8 billion in the world. 15 million are Jews, okay? That means that less, if you can fathom this, less, some of you uh, farmers will get this and engineers, less than two-thirds, less than two-thirds of 1% are Jews. It's a very tiny amount in comparison to the world population. I could put it another way that Israel has one three hundredth of the population of China. But I'm telling you that according to the covenants, he made a promise to this nation and God Almighty is not gonna take away that promise. God is saying, I am not done with the Jewish people. You say, well, what is he telling them? Look back again in verse 24. 70 weeks, and I'm pinpointing this, are decreed. Say, what what does that mean? 70 weeks have been determined for your people and your holy city. Literally, now, some of you, you might argue with me, but I'm just reading the text. They've been determined. They've been decreed. The idea here is that they've been cut out. And I don't believe, according to the word, that they've all been fulfilled. Certainly, we needed the arrival of Christ, but we also need the second coming of Christ. 
for this to be fulfilled. So what is the prophecy then? Well, verse 24, he lays out six purposes, and understand this, to be fulfilled in the entirety of the 70-week prophecy. You got seven weeks, you got 62 weeks, you got a final 70th week of seven years. There's six purposes to be accomplished. Now let me stop there. Some contend, and you, you know, you be a noble Berean with me. And I mean that because some of you maybe have been taught maybe a different scheme. Just be a Berean with me. Some contend that all six of those purposes that I just read were fulfilled at the cross. That is to say, at the cross, that everything God planned for the Jewish people, because I'm going to pinpoint it to them, has already been accomplished. I've had people say just in the last month or two that he has no future plans for the nation of Israel. Many people believe that. In fact, some people believe that there's no prophecy ever to be fulfilled again. It's already all been fulfilled in Christ. But clearly, uh, the cross was so significant, but I don't think we can wipe out those six purposes. Others say, and I don't want to get into it, but I know that you want to know, okay? Others say that the first three purposes in verse 24 were f- accomplished at the, cr- at the cross of Christ. He, look at verse 24. He finished transgression, he put an end to sin, and he atoned for iniquity. And then they would say that the second three purposes wait to be realized in the future. What is that? Look at verse 24. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. That, that could be. I'm sure there's elements of that. But I think it's best to see these six purposes partially fulfilled in his first coming, but they've not yet been experienced by the nation of Israel. Therefore, they must anticipate a second coming for the complete fulfillment of these purposes to the nation and to the future of Israel. You say, what are these six purposes? Well, I'm glad to just briefly touch on them with you. Will you look? What are they? Well, when those 70 weeks are completed... For your people and for your holy city, this is what will take place. Here's the first purpose, to finish the transgression. So what does that mean? It means to finish the transgression. It means to finish, finish all human rebellion against God. That, that idea there, words matter, you know that, means to close. It means to shut. The idea here is to bring a complete end to all human rebellion. Won't that day be glorious? Lord, come quickly. Certainly, certainly, at the first coming 
the cross accomplished, praise the Lord, the forgiveness of sin, yes, indeed, and that is so foundational. But the full blessing of that work nationally and in his kingdom must lead to the second coming of Christ at the end of 70 weeks. Now you could say that it was all done in Christ. Didn't he say on the cross, it is finished? Yes. Yes, it was. Completely, totally for the believer. But we're talking about a covenant promise to the nation here. I've not seen that with the nation yet. In fact, if you go to Israel today, and I've been there a small handful of times, it's a very irreligious place. It's a very secular place. Most of the Jews there don't follow in orthodoxy, even out of a short change of the person of Christ. But here, when those 70 weeks, I'm just trying to deal with the text, it will finish transgression. In that day, humanity, as well as Israel, transgression against God will cease, okay? And certainly sin ceased at the cross of Christ, but it will end with his return at the subsequent millennial kingdom and then his eternal reign. Doesn't that just make sense to you? I'm not watching people obey the Lord. I had a dear man in our church that I went to coffee with this week and he told me, and I thought, wow. He said, I've never seen anything like the state of America today. He's 84. Never has there been a time like this for us as, as, a, as a country. So far from the, the cross brought it individually, but it did not bring it nationally. To finish transgression is the final triumph of God's kingdom and the end of human history. Beloved, there is coming a day, a coming day when sin will be canceled. There is coming a day when it will be crushed. There is a coming day when Israel's apostasy will be finished. That Israel's apostasy will be brought to an end. That Israel itself will be restored to the land and to God himself. So how could that happen? Well, only a miracle. If you have time later, just write this one down in Zechariah 12 and go read 12 through 14. He says that the new covenant in the future, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that they, when they look at me, on him whom they have, you know that one, pierced. They pierced him. He was cut off. They shall mourn for him. Still waiting for that day. As one who mourns for us, an only child and will weep bitterly over him. There's a coming a day where there's gonna be a wholesale repentance on the nation's part. Zechariah 13:1. on that day. I'm still waiting for, we are waiting for that future day. There shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
Here's this. To cleanse them from what? Sin. There's coming a day in the new covenant at the return of Christ where he will restore Israel back to this place. You say, well, Scott, I, they, they've just been disobedient for so long. Well, I know, but I want to turn you over to the book of Romans just for a second. I have to add this. It's not on the screen. Romans chapter 11. I mean, we could spend more time here. But here's one of the reasons why he's not done with the nation. Lest you, and I'm in Romans 11, verse 25. Remember when he's talking about the mystery of Israel's salvation here. 11, 20, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Until, what does it say? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, there's a partial hardening until the fullness of Gentiles. I'm reading you here in the 70-week prophecy, the end of Gentile reign. When the Antichrist will be snuffed out. And you say, what do you mean until the full? It could be you today. You could be here and you've never come to Christ. And our Lord has allowed a partial hardening to this nation until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And I just want you to know, if you catch anything today, this is a plea for the mercy of God on your life. He has given you life and breath and you might be here today. Why? Because he's letting the fullness of the Gentiles come in. What else does it say? Look at verse 26. And in this way, he says all Israel, there's going to be a massive revival in the seven-year tribulation, will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and I'm waiting for this. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their, what? Sins. Here's one of the promises of the summary of the 70 weeks. It's to finish transgression. Secondly, would you look back in Daniel he, he goes on with this, and this is important to get out. To finish the transgression, certainly that happens at the cross individually, but nationally is what he's addressing here in Jerusalem in the city. But he says there, secondly, he will put an end to sin. In other words, the sin problem will be dealt with. He will judge Sin is the thought with finality. He will, at this end of the 70 weeks, seal up sin. He will remove sin altogether. We await that day. Now, who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking to your people, your city. I wait for that day. It says this in Ezekiel 37, go read it later. I'll bring it up, 23. Thou shalt not defile themselves anymore 
with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all their backslidings in which they have sinned. And here's the promise. And will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. That's in the new covenant. That's in the millennial reign. And we're gonna see a host of Jewish people come to, to know this truth. This prophecy, beloved, cannot be fulfilled in an absolute sense until Christ personally returns to earth. Sin in the millennial kingdom will be controlled during that time and then it will, be complete, it will completely cease during the eternal state. So he's gonna finish transgression. He's gonna make an end to sin and... I think we have to stop because we want to partake of the Lord's table. Listen, I, I, I want to thank you for, for being here. I just read a statistic this week that uh, the majority of evangelical believers come to church once a month. And I see that and I think I don't, I don't see that happening here. But, but listen, as we turn to our precious Savior now, he accomplished some of those things at his cross, you would agree. But we also know, as we'll catch up, he was cut off from his people. Though he being God's beloved son, the text says he was cut off and he was cut off in the 69th week, and I'll be anxious to share how that happened.